Well, a lot of love in the house today, and we're glad to welcome everyone who's joining us wherever you're making your connection with us right there in your house. We bring a blessing from our house, and we welcome you to the uh, house of God as we gather in his name. I'm thinking about a, um, a cartoon I saw of two caterpillars that were, you know, crawling belly down, and they were looking up and watching a butterfly that was flying overhead, and one of them says to the other, you're never going to get me up in one of those. <laughs> but think about it, because part of the humor of that cartoon is that both of those caterpillars already have what it takes to help that happen, except the transforming moment. They don't just know it yet. But they've got the potential, it just has not yet become part of their experience. And Romans 12, which is where we're focusing over the next several weeks, is uh, that scenario in human life. I mean, in the Christian experience. When our, our flatlander human tendencies um, are to uh, respond to God's miraculous, transformative invitation by saying, that's not going to happen. You know, you're never going to get me up in one of those. That's kind of what Romans 12 is to me. You, we, look at, we read this chapter, and I encourage you to read down through this chapter and see if there's any place where you say, well, that's not me. You know, that's not, uh, I, I can't see that happening. I, I'm not going. I mean, sometimes just flat-out resistance, but I'm telling you, Romans chapter 12 invites us into the evidence that it can happen in human beings, in human lives. Your life, my life can be transformed relationally and spiritually in just such a way. We rise to that higher level. Romans chapter 12, at the same time that it says, look at that, it, it, it discloses the process by which the change can happen. As it engages a choice, informed by faith, inspired by love, that's God's mercies toward us in the first verse, and then provides the lift and the power on another level. Choices give way to change that then provide lift and power for life on another level. And these words came to mind for me. My heart has no desire to stay where Doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I upward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. You know, this is Romans chapter 12 is saying, would you look at that? And then giving us each the opportunity to say, huh. I wonder. So I want to start today's message inviting us to see Romans 12 as kind of a TikTok video of that butterfly that is flying overhead and see yourself, imagine yourself in that Romans 12 butterfly and, uh, and explore it as a possibility for your future. Romans chapter 12, we're, we're opening it up under the heading first, Our House, because Romans chapter 12 describes what our house, where our Father who art in heaven abides, is like. It's what, what our house looks like. What it, what's it like to live there? I mean, what's it like to live at your house? 
Well, we're going to be invited in to see what is it like to live at our house where the Father's love is present. And one of the first things we learn is that at our house, you are born to become. Listen to this. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the first thing we discover in Romans 12 is that at our house, life is more transformational than transactional. That means you are born to become and grow into your full potential. The English word metamorphosis is what transformed is. In the Greek text, if you look it up, you'll recognize it. It's almost exact. And that metamorphosis is what happens so that a butterfly can use its wings. And so Paul is like telling us on the front end here, in our house, God's house, that's how it is. You're all born to become. You're each born to become, born in a material body, but not, but not one meant to stay material only. We are born material body meant for spiritual transformation through a renewed mind that is full of positive change. And Romans 12 is showing us what that looks like. Would you, would you look at that? The lift of positive change, of life change. So when you allow, when you put your body on the altar and say, Lord, I want it. Want that lift. What does it look like? It's a change in attitude. It's a change in altitude. It's a change in behavior. It's a change in emotional disposition. It's a change in perspective. It's a change in your approach to life. Well, what does it look like? To group in God's house. you got groups that meet at your house. What's it like to group in God's house where he's at work? Well, it's like living a metamorphosis together. We normalize change. We expect to become more than what we've been. And we move from a flatlander experience which is kind of how everybody sees it, but into a chrysalis of change, you know that pupa, that chrysalis of change that helps a caterpillar experience the transformation and then find their wings. That's what Romans 12 is inviting us into. Now, time out just for a second, because some of us learned that salvation is a free gift and that once you receive it, you can, when you die, you go straight to heaven. Okay, that's not untrue. That's not untrue, but what he's talking about is that once the mercy of God comes into your life, God doesn't just put you on hold until you go to heaven. And he says these mercies of God, that summarizes, by the way, everything that he has just taught from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11, the love of God working so that you can receive Forgiveness for all of your sins so that you can be filled with all of his Holy Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8 on. And then now we're at chapter 12 where he's coming to the, the lift of this final conclusion. He says that that mercy that God has given you, that grace that he's given you, is transformative. How? 
Well, it's going to transform you first from pride to humility. Verse 3, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Instead of being drunk on ego, Pastor Ryan showed us last week this new way of thinking that we're to embrace as we transform as he transforms our minds for this new way of living in accordance with the faith that is God has distributed to each one of you. So I want to say thank you, Pastor Ryan, for such a strong, helpful message on how we can uh, see what we are yet to be in this life, not just the next. But next we see that it's a journey in giftedness. From uniformity, that's where everybody thinks the same way, does the same thing. No, to unity in diversity. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And then he lists seven different spiritual gifts, which we're going to unwrap all of these in a later message in the series. But for today, we'll just list them. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and mercy. If you have been born into God's family to become all that he has for you to be, He's given you gifts. See, all of God's children are gifted. <laughs> and he gifts us so that we might make a meaningful contribution in our house. So God has given you a gift. We need it. God gave it. You can share it in our house. That's part of that transformation ride. It's how we grow to another level. Then next, the journey takes us from fearful to faithful. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But look at the next transformational moment. I'm just, I'm just taking us through Romans 12, looking at the lift, right? We're, we're watching it as it happens. The next journey, uh, flight takes place from independence to interdependence. Verse 10, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. So instead of living this way, I'm now learning how to connect with community because now I truly belong and I treat others with respect as they belong to. Then next we shift from selfishness, living all the way in into servanthood so that by his power and grace, we're now making a meaningful participation contribution in the community of faith itself. From certain, Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You say, that's not me. I complain in affliction. You're never getting me up in one of those. You know, see what I'm saying? I, don't, I pray once a day. How could that be me? No, I'm faithful in prayer. He's saying this may not be your experience yet, but he wants to lift you and show you heights that you have not yet experienced. That's what we're trying to learn here. Then look at this, from isolation to hospitality. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people in need. Practice hospitality. So part of God's plan is that God's family in our house move out of the impulse to isolate, you know, to wall up and say, keep your distance, and instead set the table for hospitality. 
And this isn't even COVID, you know. He's just showing us how, what it means. Let's get out of isolation. Let's get back into each other's lives. And then the rest of our house on this video shows us what emotional growth and relational redemption look like. And we're going to come back to that at another day as well. Except to say this, how can God's lift, because this is what we're going to get into when we get there. How can God's lift provide life for you, even in the toughest times when relationships get ugly and when evil backs its truck up to your door. Beep, beep, beep. And just dumps the whole load. I'm telling you, these messages are going to be helpful. I'm already looking forward to them. I'm already working on them. You don't want to miss them. God is showing us how to elevate life. He said, at our house, this is what happens. When that stuff happens, then I want to show you how you can elevate life even in the most devastating of circumstances. And today is a precursor to that. And our move is from fearful to faithful. Now, fear isn't always a bad thing in life. Fear can be very helpful. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear can be very helpful. Fear can help you find wisdom. Fear can help you provide protection so that against invasion, against abuse, fear can be a motivating force for readiness and for response so that when the moment comes, you're ready. It didn't just take you by surprise, you know. But you're not supposed to live in fear. Because fear can then paralyze. And then you get stuck in the middle of whatever is making you afraid. So, But each of us face situations every day where fear can actually serve you in pursuit of your future. That we're experiencing fear, but we're not meant to stay there. We're supposed to move from fear into a status of faithfulness. So when love, perfect love casts out, Fear, so where love and its perfection transforms your fear into a new direction. And I think you're going to be surprised, I hope, surprised and encouraged when you see how. Verse 9, love. Love. Love must be sincere. That simply means real, authentic, without hypocrisy, unfeigned without pretense. We're not play-acting when it comes to love. What does that look like? Well, he gets very clear on this one. He says, it looks like hating what's evil. It looks like clinging to what's good. That's what love looks like. God is good. A good God is good to his core, and God is love. So God's love is therefore one of the greatest goods in life, right? Love is, in fact, love is the greatest command. So just follow the logic here, and you're seeing that as we lay hold of his promise and his command that he provides lift through transformation into our relationships. We'll get to that more later, but the promise is that love never fails. God's quality of love, when we tag it and are transformed by it, will not fail us. Now, you know, in real estate, analysis and appraisal, there's something known as the highest and best use. Some of our realtors could 
speak to this a lot more with a lot more clarity and authority than me. But my understanding is that the value of a parcel of property, what it means is that that property, the value is determined according to its reasonable, probable, and legal use toward its maximum profit. Life also has its highest and best use appraisal. And we're finding it right here. It's when you use it to love. You use it in love to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Get tight, super glue with what is good. Verse 21 takes it all the way to the mat. I mean, boom. For times like we're living in right now, here's what it says. Verse 21. Don't be overcome by evil. You ever feel like you're being swallowed up, like it's closing in from every side, like you have no option except to? But he says, no, no, no. <laughs> Overcome. But how? By good. So the transformation from fearful to faithful happens as we trust God to be good and then live lives of goodness in harmony with him and his love. I think we could even call this a pupa stage. You know, the chrysalis stage where the caterpillar is learning the potentials and now wrapping oneself in them so that they can transform us for what is yet to be. And how do we do it? Well, that chrysalis of transformation, this is the surprising part, is engaging in the underrated overcoming power of goodness. Goodness. Now, my, I think our culture underrates goodness. I think we undervalue goodness as a rule. We see it as being weak. We see it as being slow. If you want something done, you want it done now. You got to be strong. You got to, you know, if you got to cut corners, get it done. In justifies the means. But when it comes to goodness, we see it like this is something for kids. You know, this is so that we we want kids to be good so that they won't bite or hit each other. You know, we so they'll play nice together. Oh. She's such a good girl. Oh, but really, he's a good boy. You know, we see it as a childish thing. Goodness is something that our culture tells us. That's what grown-ups who live in the real world teach kids so that they will be nice. But when you live in the real world, the cutthroat, what words do we use for it? Cutthroat, rat race, dog-eat-dog competition of real life. In the real world, we can't afford to be naive. When you live and work in a world full of snakes, I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody, but you know what? You got to learn how to. You got to learn how a snake thinks, don't you? You got to be shrewd as a snake. Oh wait, did you know Jesus actually said that? Jesus said, you must be shrewd as a snake. So I started doing a little background research on snakes, and what I discovered is that they virtually live by the sniff test. Did you know that their sense of smell is how they determine in every environment whether a creature that they are around is predator or prey? They know it by their sense of smell. So they use the sniff test to evaluate their immediate situation. And then they take action in it. So I'm wondering, maybe Jesus is saying, 
that we should know, we should know how to use a sniff test. If you want to be as shrewd as a snake, we've got to use our heads. We need to be ahead of the game. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. We need to, have a, we need to be attentive, and we need to watch out for the traps that this world is full of evil traps that would kill, steal, and destroy. I heard a couple of them on the, on the news report this week. There was a great alert, alarm and alert on national news channels about fentanyl being passed off as uh, Percocet. That's right. And that people were buying Percocet and then literally dying because it was fentanyl. Because somebody on the other end is not as, you know, we've got to put the sniff test to some of this stuff. A little bit later in the same report, it talked about young adults that were out having a nice party, drinking together, and then said, but you know, now there are scrunchies so that you can put them over your open container so that nobody will put drugs in your drink, and then you just wake up wondering what happened and don't know where you were, what they did. It's a world of snakes. Jesus says, you got to learn how to think like a snake. You need to use your sniffer and sniff some of this stuff out. Don't be gullible. Don't be caught unaware. Watch out for the traps. And yet, he closes the saying, Matthew 10, 16, by this. He says, but be innocent as, do as doves. What? Now, a dove, innocent. Innocent means unadulterated. Stay pure. Aim to not be tainted by sin, your own or somebody else's, somebody's sinful motive. A dove actually was a clean animal that was used in worship. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Of... You know what Jesus is saying is be good. Don't... He's not saying be weak. He's not saying be, do nothing. He's not saying take, let people take advantage of you. He's saying, hey, wake up, use your sniffer, be innocent of evil in your response, but be good. This is different from being nice. You know the difference between being good and being nice? One of them you can fake. The other one is about character. Being nice, you can fake that. You know, you can be thinking all kinds of thoughts about somebody who's you're being nice to. <laughs> right? But it's not because you're so good. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, be, you can be nice. This isn't about this. This is about character. This is God taking a caterpillar and saying, I want to show you another way to live where you don't have to fake it. Your love can be real. Your sniffer can be real. Your responses can be real. And it's about being good. It's about being pure in heart watching the uh, memorial of the queen, Queen Elizabeth, it just struck me how many people were remembering her goodness. Did you hear that? The goodness of her heart. Okay, I'm saying, no, you're not the queen. You're not the queen of England, but every one of us have influence in our realms. And Paul was writing to God's kids, by the way, which all of God's children are royalty. And he says, I want to show you how to live on another level by doing good. I was talking to two of our journeyers a couple weeks ago now, different conversations, but about the crisis in the world, especially about the war in Ukraine right now. And both of them, surprised to me, in their day jobs, were doing good in response to the war of Ukraine. So, well, what? Well, one uh, works with a shipping management company in logistics, 
and had been active in a proposal and in contracts to make some of the ships available so that the Ukrainian refugees with their families can all be in one place together. And was even telling me this morning that these ships, the Victoria and the uh, Ambition, that one of these ships had like 1,200 adults on it, 400 kids, and they're going to school this week. And this is part of her day job. Thank you, Vicki. She volunteers in worship regularly around here. How, how are we supposed to respond when you see the news reports, overcoming evil, this is evil war? Well, you could do some good. Kit Williams was the other guy I was talking to. He said, you know, Bill, well, he always calls me Brother Bill. Brother Bill, you know, Brother Bill, as a result of the, food, the, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, food distribution to East Africa has been put on hold. And the group that he works with is about supplying food. He said, Ukraine is the largest supplier of grain to East Africa, but it didn't harvest it this year because of the war, and it couldn't ship it out because of the war. And so as a result, there's a food shortage, and 185,000 people are facing starvation right in the middle of the worst drought that East Africa has had in 40 years. I mean, I was just asking him, and he was just telling me what he does. And he said, so as a result, Compassion International, because he's one of the lead councils, for Compassion International, he says, we're sending out $6 million a month to try to stem the tide of this release. That's doing good in the face of evil. I don't know what you could do, but I think the Lord would want to ask you, instead of just living a caterpillar life and looking up there and saying, ah, that must be for kids, perhaps the Holy Spirit could show us what to do in the middle of evil. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells his disciples, the prince of this world is coming. His sniffer was working. The prince of this world is coming. The evil one is coming. It's going to happen right now. And then what does he say? But he has no hold over me. <laughs> Man, the innocence is intact, and I'm going to fight with good. And we're going to see what happens. If you want to see what it looks like for God's goodness to deal with the face of evil, let's just watch Jesus from Gethsemane to the cross, because Jesus models for us as his followers what it looks like to be chemo and not the cancer, to be antiseptic and not the injury, to be the antibiotic and not the bacteria, to, uh, to be the vaccine and not the virus, to, to be the white blood cell in the body who says, oh, I can do something to help here and fight that disease and help the health get developed, be part of the immune system. What would happen if all of God's people were to say, wherever he distributes us in our day jobs, if we would say, Lord, today, where could I do some good and be part of the immune system? Here's what Paul says. Don't be overcome by evil. That's caterpillar thinking. Let's, let's overcome evil with good because in our house, Transformation from fearful to faithful happens as we trust God to be good and then live lives of goodness and harmony with him in his love. Now, how do we trust God to be good? You ever wondered that? How do you trust God to be good? It starts with the belief, I believe. I believe our capacity to trust is the way that we access goodness 
and God, we believe to trust that God is good. In fact, that's where the Bible begins. The Bible tells us a story of a good God who we can trust, who then comes to us full of grace and truth in Jesus Christ and who wants us to know his goodness. And it's all through Scripture and all of God's promises. Look at what Peter says, 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Okay, the caterpillar's got all the potential to become a butterfly through our knowledge of him, not just head knowledge, our transformed mind experience knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and what? Goodness! Goodness! So that through these he's given us his very great and precious promises. Why? So that through them you might participate in the divine nature. We're going to Find a new elevation to live our lives as here, right? And then having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires, we've overcome evil with good. The promises of God's word from Scripture are gifts from God for you, gifts of God's goodness for you to trust. Believe them, receive them by faith. Access them, read them, feed on them, and then trust them. How do you do it by faith? First, rest. You rest in Jesus. He is your good Savior. He does for you what you can't do for yourself. He's good to the blood and bone. He's pure and uncompromised in spirit, soul, and body. And you just rest in Jesus as your good God. And he's holding you. He's got you. Receive the life of God's love by resting in Jesus. And the second one is rely on Jesus as your leader. Now follow me here for a second. Rest is passive. Rely is active. Rest trusting him to have you. He's holding you. He will never let you go. Rely by trusting him to lead you. As you open his word, let it guide your decision-making. Let the Holy Spirit sensitize your sniffer so that you can do better sniff tests on moral situations in your own life and then learn how to hate what is evil and then get tight with what is good so that you can rise to that next level. What Scripture is telling us is that there are ultimately only two moral realities in life. There's good and there's evil. They're not equal, but they are different. The word used for good means originating from God, good. God is good to the core. God is excellent in nature. He is all the way good. And so when goodness shows up, it is pleasant, agreeable, joyful, honorable, upright, acceptable, benevolent. All of these words are what lifts life to another level because God is good. And then look what the word used for evil means. Inwardly foul, morally rotten, poisoned, malicious, destructive, harmful, wicked, depraved. Now the world will try to tell you that it's all just a matter of perspective. Hey, there are no good guys. There are no bad guys. There's only you and me and we just disagree. Jesus says, hey, might want to sniff that one out before you swallow because it's deceit in it, and there's death in it. And you don't want to drink that stuff. You want to catch it before it catches you. How do you do that? Well, that's what this is about. We overcome evil 
with good. How can you overcome evil? You choose to use goodness, the underrated overcoming power of God. And my assumption is, I bet you've underrated it too. But if you'll start, this, this is what Jesus did. That's what the scripture tells us. He went around doing what? Good. Acts 10, 38, by the power of Holy Spirit of God. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, he calls all of his would-be followers to, to goodness. Matthew 5, 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. In other words, they're going to get connected to our house because of God's goodness through you. And this is the teaching of the New Testament, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we could do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. So what's that telling me? Don't be afraid for people to think you're naive because you're the goody-goody in the office. Or at school. <laughs> I got a little help going over here. Don't be afraid. See yourself as a humble spirit warrior of the goodness of God to overcome evil and choose to follow Jesus in the midst of the world of evil. Choose. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, how can I be chemo in the midst of this cancer? How could I be antiseptic? instead of injury? Could God use me to be part of the solution? Is that what he envisioned for people in our house to be doing outside? Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you may be tempted to say like that caterpillar, you know what, you're never going to get me up in one of those. But I got to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. Even that thought is a lie. You were made for goodness. You were made by a good God who made you in his image to be an extension of his good presence in the, in a, and do a good work in managing a very good world. That's where the story starts. But then evil raised its ugly head, lied, deceived, killed, and yet our good God hasn't given up. I mean, he's good. And he acts in love in Christ, and he comes to be good and then to do good for all of us. Why? So that you could have a good life. So that you could have a good marriage. So that you could have a good family, good job. It's not a magic wand. It, God's not like a vending machine to make you rich and comfortable. But his goodness, I mean the real thing, God's goodness can help you be a change agent for good in every part of your life, wherever you go. And then as you do good works, you know what you discover? <laughs> hey, good works. <laughs> and that underrated power starts overcoming evil, and you say, hey, wait a minute, there may be something to this. This isn't just for kids. This is for warriors of the Spirit who know that the world is in the balance, and we've got to do something. And Paul says, here it is right here. It has transformative power to overcome evil without compromising your innocence. You can be good and be 
an overcomer. In the movie Back to the Future, maybe you remember when Doc Brown brought his Mr. Fusion device to, uh, and, and, and he explained how this fusion device can take trash and throw away garbage, and you put it in the fusion device, and it, create, it, tur- it transforms it into fuel that will empower his DeLorean for its travel through time. Goodness can do the same for you. Transforming fear into faithfulness and overcoming evil. What's that evil coming in? Let's just put it in the device and see. And let fear grow your faith and your trust in God. And then as your faith is growing, then you use your sniff test. And when something doesn't smell right, you know what you do? You just crush it like one of those cans and put it right into the Mr. Fuji. Watch No, you know what? The cross of Jesus Christ is our divine, sacred, it's better than Mr. Fusion, but it's the place where God takes all the trash of the world, he takes all of the sin, all of the evil that has ever been done by anybody who has ever lived, and in his infinite self and in his goodness, he takes it all into himself, every pain, every sin, those that you've done, those that were done to you, those that make you just want to bristle and hide. But his goodness is life-transforming. It's world-changing. The cross is the place where God shows us how to hate evil and how to overcome it with good. And so today, before we share communion together, you received a piece of paper as you were coming in. I'd like for you to take it out with me right now. And at home, if you'd like to get one out and just... Join us in this participatory worship experience, if you will. Um, You might need a hard surface so that you can write on that piece of paper. I've already written a few things down that are temptations that that are, I suppose, evils that could be done to me, evils that I could do to myself. I put fear down here as one of them, trash that needs to be put out of my life. Um, So I'd like to invite you just to write whatever sin the Holy Spirit tells you. Don't put your name on this. Don't put your name on it. But put your sin on it or put something that somebody else did to you that is a burden that's snagging you. And uh, then I want you to join me in just bringing that as an act of worship to the altar and the foot of the cross today. And then we're going to worship together and we're going to, change, we're going to have communion. But I'm just going to leave mine right here. And um, anybody who feels so led can come and let's just leave our burdens at the foot of the cross, shall we?